One thing most landlords likely do not understand is that they have a responsibility to their tenants to make sure that they are safe. In most states, this is written in the Right to Peaceful Enjoyment Code under the Warrant of Habitability. This does not need to be written in the lease to take effect. In most states, this is the law for rental property owners. And what does this mean? For the most part, landlords need to provide their rental homes or units with heat, a working stove, windows that open and close, door locks, and the unit must be up to code with fire safety equipment like smoke detectors, etc. Welcome to your Landlord Resource Podcast. Many moons ago, when I started as a landlord, I was as green as it gets. I may have had my real estate license, but I lacked confidence and the hands-on experience needed when it came to dealing with tenants, leases, maintenance, and bookkeeping. After many failed attempts, fast forward to today, Kevin and I have doubled our doors and created an organized, professionally operated rental property business. Want to go from overwhelmed to confident? If you're an ambitious landlord or maybe one in the making, join us as we provide strategies and teach actionable steps to help you reach your goals and the lifestyle you desire, all while building a streamlined and profitable rental property business. This is your Landlord Resource Podcast. Hello there, landlords. My name is Stacy, and I'm here with Kevin. And I'm thanking God that you do not have a thick mustache like those firemen do. <laughs> what? You don't like facial hair? Oh, I don't mind scruff, but those thick old mustaches that you see a lot of those firemen sporting these days, in my opinion, too much. Not your thing, huh? Nope. But I have many family members as well as friends who are firefighters, and I do have the deepest respect for those guys which is why we are honoring all firefighters with this week's podcast about fire safety in your rental properties. Yeah, that's right. National Fire Prevention Week is coming up, and we thought we'd get on here and offer up a bunch of information, which in turn may keep those friends and family safe. We spoke with a few of them to get any insight they would have for our landlords. You know, experiences they have had that might help put our suggestions in perspective. And these guys are fire chiefs and captains, so they really know their stuff. Yep, they are very respected in the communities they work in. So today we are covering part one of a two-part series on fire safety in rental properties. This week we are going to cover how the age of your rental property can have an increased risk of fire danger and what to look for to lessen the chance of fire single-family home rentals versus multifamily properties and the fire risks that are associated with them, the most common fires that occur in rental properties and how to guide your tenants on how to avoid them, hoarding and the fire risks associated with it for both the tenant and the firefighters, and lastly, what needs to be included in your lease with regards to fire safety and violations. We also have a lot of information we are linking in the show notes. Most of it is free information you can use to make your rental safer, as well as increased awareness with your tenants. Now, Stacy, you interviewed a family friend who was a retired fire chief and got his perspective on fire safety when it comes to rentals, right? I did. 
it, it's funny because with several of my family members being firemen, we often hear stories about their calls. My late brother-in-law was a fire captain, and I have another brother-in-law who was currently a fire captain, and our nephew was just sworn in a couple months ago. And this friend that I spoke to knew and or knows all of them and actually was a speaker at my nephew's graduation. So the community of firefighters is a small, small world. I wanted to get his perspective. Well, for one, when I talk to family, we tend to fall off subject and lose track of where we are. But this retired fire chief was a civil engineer prior to his 34 years of experience as a fireman. So not only has he experienced quite a bit as a firefighter, he has a deeper knowledge about buildings and their structure, which is quite important to fire safety. Where we are not airing the interview on the podcast, we're going to use the information he provided to share with you about why fire safety is such an important subject. Let's call him Fire Marshal Bill, like the Jim Carrey character way back when. Say, I sure have a beautiful family here. Why, thank you, Fire Marshal Bill. Now, how can we help you? Well, it's National Fire Safety Week. I've been going door to door looking for fire hazards. Mind if I give your place a little infection? It's free. Please do. Oh, wow, that takes me back. You're so funny putting that in there. So my questions to Bill about fire safety ran the gamut. From what's the one thing landlords need to concentrate on in their units to concerns for single-family rentals versus multifamily. And also his thoughts on those new fire blankets that you see ads for all the time, of which his perspective might surprise many of you. Yeah, well, I know you initially told him you'd only need about 15 minutes of his time, but you guys ended up talking for what, almost an hour? Yeah, he was a wealth of knowledge. We have a lot of information to cover today, so let's get to it. One thing most landlords likely do not understand is that they have a responsibility to their tenants to make sure that they are safe. In most states, this is written in the Right to Peaceful Enjoyment Code under the Warrant of Habitability. This does not need to be written in the lease to take effect. In most states, this is the law for rental property owners. And what does this mean? For the most part, Landlords need to provide their rental homes or units with heat, a working stove, windows that open and close, door locks, and the unit must be up to code with fire safety equipment like smoke detectors, etc. We'll get to the equipment in a minute. Each state is different in their definition of warrant of habitability. For instance, some hot weather states are now requiring air conditioning units for rentals. So, and I know we sound like a broken record, but we implore you all to know your state and local landlord-tenant laws. For most of you who own what are deemed commercial rental properties or buildings with five or more units, you likely already have requirements for city inspections you have to meet. A relatively new law for rental property owners in California is SB 721 which means we have to show that we've had all decks, stairways, and walkways over six feet high inspected and signed off as safe and free of dry rot or hazards. California landlords have until January 2025 to furnish proof of this inspection. It's not necessary to do this inspection, 
on any properties that are lower than five units. We likely will be doing a podcast on this subject because California is not the only state now requiring this special inspection. And the point is here is that landlords have responsibilities to their tenants to make sure the property that they're renting is safe and habitable. So when it comes to fire safety in your rental properties, there's a lot to consider. A big factor is the age of your rental. Older homes and apartment buildings may have old heating systems and electrical wiring. Wall heaters or radiant heating can cause issues if there is only one heater in the unit and tenants crank that puppy up to warm other areas of the home. Where the heater itself can get hot enough to catch fabrics and paper on fire, the issue is if the tenants decide to use space heaters to heat rooms without that radiant heating. Often they will plug one into a receptacle and crank it up to warm the space. And yes, these portable heaters with elements can cause fires if the tenant accidentally lays a blanket, paper, or any flammable object near it. The bigger issue is the extreme draw this heater has on the likely outdated electrical system. So when Stacy asked Fireman Bill what the primary focus all landlords should have with regards to fire safety in their rental properties was, his instant response was electrical. Because you never know what is going on inside the walls of a home or apartment building. Electrical wires run throughout every wall and in crawl spaces like the attic. Rodents can get in there and chew on the wires. Old protective wire coatings disintegrate over time and leaves exposed wires. Or previous owners could have made repairs or installations incorrectly and did not secure wires properly. Most older homes have two-prong receptacles and do not have the grounded plugs that will cut power to the unit if it's overloading the circuit. When an older electrical system gets overloaded, it burns hot in the wires within the walls. You see, when something, or anything for that matter, is hot inside or against a wall that is made of wood studs, over time, the heat causes the wood to dry out and begin to disintegrate, basically turning it to cardboard. So at some point, if your tenant has an extension cord that is powering a space heater, a lamp, their phone charger, and their laptop all at the same time, the plug gets overloaded and can create a spark within the wall. Then the spark hits the dry wood and smolders for a while, and then when the tenant least expects it, starts a fire within the wall. Another issue is using appliances, small and large. For the sake of today's podcast, we're talking about small items like space heaters, but toaster ovens, air fryers, and crock pots are very commonly used in rental property kitchens and can wreak havoc on older electrical systems. Same exact thing as the space heater. These small appliances often run for long periods of time to cook food. Over time, they can cause fires when the wires get too hot. Is this the landlord's fault? Not necessarily. The state doesn't expect all landlords with older electrical systems to rewire their homes. But we do feel that knowledge is power, so if you think your home could experience something like the scenario of tenants using space heaters, extension cords, and small kitchen appliances, make sure you make them aware of the potential hazard. Use an addendum to explain what they can and cannot use or the limitations of using items such as these. Yeah, always try to use addendums to define issues and have the tenants sign them off. 
This is one way to help lessen that burden off of you and onto them. Another option is to consider switching all of your two-prong ungrounded receptacles to GFIs. So these are plugs that have ground fault systems built into them, and they'll automatically shut off to the plug if the electrical draw or pull gets too great and the wires start to heat up. So beside electrical issues, Fireman Bill said that cording is the next priority landlords need to have when it comes to fire safety. This is where periodic inspections are definitely going to help you out. Bill told us a story of how the fire department was called because there were cracks in the ceiling of a unit in an apartment building. The tenant explained that that the cracks seemed to be getting worse every day. Now, why that tenant called the fire department and not the property owners beyond me, but the gist of the issue was that the fire department went to the unit above to see if they too were having issues with cracks in the ceiling. The door was unlocked. However, they were unable to open the door. They broke the window to gain entry and found floor-to-ceiling newspapers with about a 16-inch wide pathway for someone to shimmy through the unit. The bedroom was covered too, leaving just enough room for the tenant to sleep. Clearly, this was an extreme fire hazard, but was also becoming a structural issue as well. The issue is not only that the tenant cannot get out of the unit if the fire breaks out, but that firefighters do not know what they're going to encounter when they have to go into a unit and check for occupants or to save someone. Hoarding is an issue that can cause firemen to get injured or caught inside as the contents catch fire. So, 2 to 6% of the population are hoarders. So let's think about that. In a town with 10,000 people, on the low end, that's 200 homes have an issue with hoarding. Now again, this is a subject we could do a whole podcast on, and we eventually will. But for now, it's important for you to know that hoarding falls under the umbrella of fair housing as a mental illness. So if you discover that a tenant has piles and piles of newspapers lining all the walls of their unit, you can't just go in and give them a three-day notice to correct or remedy or vacate. In many cases, You have to contact a family member or you have to hire someone to help them sort through the items and get rid of them. This process can take some time, but if you do try to evict someone without making an effort to assist them first, a judge can throw your eviction out. Yeah, we've had some experience with hoarders and it's no fun. Our best advice is to do your best, but do something to help them. Ignoring the issue and hoping it'll go away can lead to some serious legal issues should a fire break out. Okay, moving on. Let's now talk about the different risks associated with single-family rentals versus multifamily units. First and foremost is the number of occupants. Typically, you'll have many more tenants in a multifamily than a single-family home. So with those increased occupants comes increased risk. This is why buildings with five or more units are considered commercial and fall under different, more stringent laws and regulations, especially for fire safety. Per bill, single-family homes usually have less people and more space or square footage. They are usually a number of ways to exit the property should a fire break out. In multi-family buildings, there is more life but less space, usually just the front door and a few windows or maybe a patio to exit from. It is usually required there are two ways to exit a building or a rental unit. It is referred to as egress and typically includes the front door 
and windows that are waist high. In apartments, because they typically do not come with garages or outdoor storage space, there is a higher chance that the contents inside the units are flammable, unlike a traditional single-family home rental. When gas prices went way up several years ago, Bill said they knew of an apartment where the tenant was storing several filled gasoline cans. Drug labs are also very prevalent in apartments versus single-family homes, usually because the rental rates of apartment is much less, and for those who are concerned with money by storing flammable materials and making drugs, they want to keep their costs down. Paint materials and thinners is also an issue should the tenant be a painter by trade. He went on to say that multifamily is tough when it comes to fire safety because from unit to unit, you really don't know what's behind those doors. That it was not uncommon for them to find propane tanks, gas tanks, and flammable cleaning solutions when they were called into the units. If a fire breaks out in one unit and spreads to another with those flammable liquids inside, the consequences can be dire when those liquids explode. Yeah, I, I was shocked to hear that about all the flammable liquids they came across on calls to those, when those apartments. You, you think that people would know better, but I guess not. All righty then, Kev, if you had to guess, what would you say is the most common fire that occurs in a home? Okay, um, I'm going to go with kitchen fires. You are right. Over 50% of fires in the U.S. are caused by kitchen fires. Now, for a second there, I was almost going to say electrical. Well, you covered quite a bit about it. So, you... <laughs> well. well, according to Bill, in our area of older homes, electrical fires are the leading cause. He stated that he has had many fires inside walls and attic spaces, as well as faulty wiring on lamps and appliances. And similar to that old eight is enough episode, and I'm really dating myself here. <laughs> Curling irons, tools, or battery charges pull a high amount of energy and can cause fires when left unattended. He mentioned that candles are also a problem because people will light them for ambiance or, you know, smelling those essential oils and then they fall asleep and the candles burn down and then the hot wax hits a flammable surface or, pap or papers will fall into them. Candles have a very similar effect as to the old days when people would fall asleep in bed or in their lazy boy while they're smoking. But kitchen fires are the most common cause of fire in a residential home. When it comes to kitchen fires, he said, people are just not thinking. Commonly, they'll put a pot on the stove and walk away, get distracted or sit down and fall asleep, and then the pot starts smoking and causes the alarms to go off. Grease fires are also common. When frying foods, people do not leave enough room to add the food or the food is really wet and it causes the oil to bubble over the side of the pot, or people don't use the correct pan to cook foods that render off a lot of fat and that fat spills over onto the heating elements and the fire starts inside the oven. Clearly issues that can be avoided if people would just slow down and think a little bit about what they're doing. Well, that's a nice segue into the next thing I wanted to discuss. And that is, what's better, a kitchen fire extinguisher or a fire blanket? Hands down, fire extinguisher. In Bill's opinion, you are absolutely correct. For those of you who are not familiar with them, fire blankets are a small blanket, eh, like around three or four feet square, and are made of a special fire retardant material 
that basically cuts the oxygen to a fire and puts it out. They are advertised as not being messy like a fire extinguisher, do less damage to the home, and are way less expensive than a fire extinguisher. There are a couple issues with them, though. They force a person to get close to the fire in order to properly place the blanket over the flames. This chances them getting burnt, or if the blanket misses or doesn't cover the flames, then what? They are small, so if there is a grease fire and someone has tried to pick the pot up and carry it over to the sink, leaving a trail of fire behind them, the blanket won't cover that large area. And blankets are also very difficult to use inside of an oven or behind an appliance. They are meant to lay flat, which is nearly impossible to achieve when there's flame shooting out of an oven or climbing up the wall behind the refrigerator. Fire extinguishers, on the other hand, while messy, are much more direct and effective. There is a trick to using them, though. So in our show notes, we are going to link a YouTube video we like to send to our tenants once a year with a fire prevention email. We also include a QR code in our unit binder for them to check it out. In the show notes, we'll also link a small instructional PDF on how to use a fire extinguisher, which might be a good idea to include with your lease and in your unit binder as well. So here's the deal. For the state of California, we are required to have one regular-sized fire extinguisher for every 3,000 feet of rental space. For most single-family home rentals, that would be one extinguisher per home. In our single-family home rental, we have an extinguisher in the basement, one on the main floor hanging in the laundry area, and one in the garage, plus we put a small kitchen-sized one under the kitchen sink. For multifamily, there needs to be an extinguisher within 40 feet of each other, but at our sixplex, we have one by every apartment entrance plus a small one under every kitchen sink. You need to make sure they are strategically placed. Check out your local fire code to determine placement for your rental. We have a website that lists all the fire codes for each state. We'll link it in the show notes. Just remember when looking your area up, if it's not listed, that may mean they go by the state regulations and does not have ordinance specific to your city or county. Yeah, I was surprised actually when I looked up our county that we don't have anything specific. We go under the state regulations here. Wow, didn't know that. I want to continue talking a bit about fire extinguishers. Make sure you choose extinguishers that can be used to fight a variety of fires. And they're not all the same, but there is one that is rated to extinguish paper or wood oil and grease, and electrical fires. You also want one that can be serviced and does not have to be replaced every year. And yes, you heard that right. Every year, regardless of if the indicator shows the pressure is full or it's in the green zone, fire extinguishers must be serviced by a professional company. During this inspection, they will recharge the units and inspect the components to make sure they're working properly. For instance, like if making sure that the hose is not cracked. After a specific period of time, extinguishers can expire, but a good service company will just replace it with a refurbished or a new unit during their inspection. You will know when to service your unit based on its tag that indicates when it was last serviced and by whom. If your extinguishers are behind locked gates, it's best to schedule your service when you're going to be there doing inspections so they can gain access and then have you answer any questions that they might have. 
Same goes with the small extinguishers we keep under the kitchen sink. We're going to link both of the ones that we use in the show notes. Now, we're lucky because we have a family friend who has a business servicing extinguishers, so we get a pretty good deal on ours. Yeah, we do. But if you're looking for someone, Google fire extinguisher service near me. You can ask other landlords in your area who they use, or just call your local fire department to see who they recommend. So we are going to cut our show off here today. We want to respect your time, and if we had combined this week's podcast with next week, it would have just been shy of an hour, so we thought it best to divide it into two parts. Next week, we'll continue our chat about fire safety and rental properties covering inspections, what fire safety issues to be on the lookout for inside and out of your rental property, smoke and carbon monoxide detectors, what kind we recommend, how many you need, and where they should be located within the units, what is important to include in your lease and addendums to use regarding fire safety, and finally, what fire codes you might need to know and how to help your tenants who have pets on your property. Yeah, there is a lot of good stuff coming up next week. That is our show for today. As always, we are very grateful that you have taken the time to tune into our podcast. We hope you are learning a few things or that we are at least inspiring you to be a more organized and professional rental property owner and landlord. We have plans to do a Q&A episode, so if you have any questions, feel free to email them to stacy at yourlandlordresource.com. That's stacy with an I-E at yourlandlordresource.com. Just put the phrase question for podcast in the subject line and we'll do our best to get them all included. There is no end date for your submissions. As we receive questions, we will answer them on additional podcasts. If you love what you hear, would you do us a huge favor and leave us a kind review so we can continue to reach other rental property owners? We really need other listeners to know how our podcast has helped you and what you love about listening to us each week. You can find a link in the show notes for leaving your review. While you're at it, would you also follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform? Your downloads each week allow us to grow and reach other DIY landlords. Because remember, we're not in competition with each other. We all need to work together to be efficient, professionally operated rental property owners. The more landlords that we can help with this, the better. Because as you systematize your rental properties, it lowers the overwhelm. In turn, this allows you more time to do the things that you love. And it also makes buying rental properties a hell of a lot easier. If you'd like a link to the podcast delivered to your email each week, subscribe to our free newsletter, Landlord Weekly. Each week, we take a deep dive into a rental property tip, and we include several landlord-specific articles for you to check out. And of course, we do include the link to our most recent podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Your Landlord Resource podcast today. This is Stacy and Kevin signing off. And until next time, you've got this, landlords. 